the 27th of June and the sun is rising the tomb is empty we talk about that every morning here that that is good news indeed there really are two critical dimensions of the good news of Jesus one is that our sins have been forgiven now is the time of jubilee where all debts have been paid but that wouldn't have the same kind of emphasis that it could have if Jesus was not raised and the Bible talks about that often but because he was raised so too will be raised and there's always hope and always future in his beautiful kingdom this is Dr. Peter Kapsner with Faith Radio Mornings. I'm joined in studio by Logan Rausch. And also, already joined in studio, he wandered in this morning, Bill English, regular guest of the show. Good morning, Bill. You know, it's amazing who you let come in off the street here, yeah, I'm telling we you. <laughs> we, we need a bouncer and a vetting process of some you kind do, here. You do. Yeah, you it's need amazing. a better security system. Yeah, that's all yeah, I'm going to say. Socially <laughs> awkward when you get in here like this. You're right, Logan? Yeah, every week, Peter just sends me out to the street to grab some guy. And it's always Bill. It's every re- Wednesday, he's standing in our parking lot. That's it is really like, weird. I, I sleep in the parking lot on Tuesday nights. <laughs> yeah, you do wander around, and we just think at least it takes some pity on you. Once a week, we'll let you in. You know, So, Bill, we've been talking this morning, Logan and I, relative to this headline out of uh, New York, that there's a very young congresswoman potentially here coming, a Democratic Socialist who is 28 years old, likely to be elected as the youngest congresswoman in history. And Logan and I have been just talking about bridging generational divides and what his perspective is at 22 on this versus me at 47. And are there some things that could unite us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I like to put I'm going to start putting things in reference to the age of Jurassic Park. Now, she's three years older than Jurassic Park, uh, the original movie. Oh, that makes me mad. Right. Yeah. So it's totally I mean, our opinions on this are so vastly different, not necessarily in where we land, but where our minds first go. I mean, you think about the first thing that comes to my mind is, wow, that's that's really impressive. And that's kind of cool. Someone. Definitely, especially my age, doesn't feel very represented when everybody in Congress is kind of using a walker to get around. So that's, in my mind, pretty cool. And generally speaking, President Trump appeals to a different demographic. He usually skews a little bit older, not always, of course. But I'm curious, too, Logan, and you you as well, Bill, uh, one of our affiliates, Fargo, is going to be hosting a Trump rally tonight. And if you could get there, politics aside. Just the historicity, the historical nature of this rally. Would, would the two of you go if you were given the opportunity? Bill, let's start with you. Yeah, I probably would go, whether it was President Obama or President Trump. I probably would go. I did go to a rally uh, for Bush 43. You did? I saw him actually shook his hand one time. Oh, incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, I probably would go. Yeah, Logan? I think I'd go if, if it wasn't too much of a, a difficult situation to get into. I mean, I've, I would love to know the energy that's in that room because you see it on the campaign trails and stuff, and it's so interesting. But, I mean, I had the opportunity to see Mike Pence when he came to a certain mm. convention I was at, and it was like a six-hour wait in security to get in beforehand, and I just didn't have time for that. Yeah, if you're in Fargo listening this morning, we would love to hear a bit uh, tomorrow or Friday. If you wanted to call in and just give us a sense of what it was like to be there firsthand uh, to, to welcome the president up there. It is seven minutes past the hour. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we will get into things with Bill English on the Bible and business and how these two realms that seem to be separate actually come together so well. So stay with us as Faith Radio Mornings.
So, Bill, is that your walk-up music? Do I? Yes, that, that this is. is the, we talked about this last week a little bit. The yeah. power of love, Huey Lewis yeah, and the, the news. The power of love. Yeah, yeah. So, wh- why this song for you? Well, a because I love the song. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Yep. But B, uh, there is a phrase in it, and I'll have to get it for you next week. Right. Where what he talks about, uh, the, the lyrics that he uses, applies directly to business ownership. Oh, I'd love to hear more and about that. So next week I'll bring those for you, and and we'll talk about the song because I chose it. Precisely for that uh, set of lyrics in the song. Oh, that's great. Well, it's Bill English. You probably know the voice. He's been a regular contributor to the morning show for a very long period of time. Love to have you on talking about Bible and business. Your website is bibleandbusiness.com, and it brings together these two realms, business and Bible and our Christian faith, in some really important and beautiful ways. I know a lot of our listeners are either involved in business or business owners themselves. And what I would love for is just, you know, Bill, I love when you come on and, and bring an integrated perspective, that we don't have to check our faith at the door, even though sometimes it gets tricky in the realm of business. It does, but I think our faith should drive what we do as business owners, and it should drive it in a way that is uh, different than how most books look at it. So for a long time, I've been on a search to find uh, articles or books that talk about the integration of faith and business ownership, and that content just doesn't exist out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... um, that's part of the reason why I write the Bible in business. What are our stewardship responsibilities before the Lord as an owner is significantly different than as a leader or as an employee. Hmm. And God holds us to a higher, I think, a higher standard and a higher level of accountability for what we do with that which he has entrusted to us. Yeah, really well said. And I love on your website, you actually have 69 undeniable truths about business ownership. And, And one of them that caught my attention this week that I would love for you to comment on is number 18 says, the more you integrate your faith into your business, the more Satan will oppose you. Talk about this. Yeah, you know, uh, because business is ministry. Okay. Okay, it's part of the kingdom work. And just because it's for-profit and not non-profit doesn't mean that it's not part of kingdom work. And Satan doesn't really care where or how you try to move out for Jesus Christ. When you start to blaze for the Lord, Hmm. Satan will oppose you. If you're blazing in the market square with a for-profit business, he's going to oppose you. And he's going to do things to try to undermine you. Maybe he'll send you a you know a cute secretary hmm. and, and, and and tempt you that way. Uh, maybe he'll uh, send lawsuits your directions. Maybe uh, disgruntled employees will come after you. Maybe uh, vendors will start to uh, not work with you. There's lots of ways for Satan to oppose you. You need to understand that when you are really trying to use your business as a steward for the Lord, that Satan is going to come and oppose you. So if you're not well-versed in spiritual warfare... You are a sitting duck Mm. because you will interpret spiritual problems as business problems. Wow, such an important concept to just to to think about. I remember hearing a sermon series at one point where the pastor was talking out of the book of Acts and noticing that as the followers of Jesus were moving out into the world, that they were always opposed. And he made this phrase that stuck with me for the last 30 years or so, which is that when the wind of the spirit begins to blow, it'll always be met with the waves of resistance. Yeah, a a perfect phrase. And I, I think the pastor that said that is spot on. Hmm. Yeah, I have another undeniable truth here, too, that uh, in today's day and age may not uh, be self-evident, and that is number 29, that profits are good. Yeah. Everywhere I go in the headlines <laughs> is profits are what are the problem with our country. So say more about this, Bill. You know, profits are good. Profits are a social good. Profits are an economic good. If they're used correctly, they can be a spiritual good. Uh, profits are good, and profits are assumed in the scriptures. When you look at the parable 
of the talents in Luke 19, right? The master expects a return on his investment. So uh, the the idea of this growing and becoming and making more of what was is uh, something that is is uh, affirmed in the scriptures. And so as Christians, we need to uh, see prophets as a good thing. How they are used is a stewardship issue, but the existence of prophets in and of themselves is a good thing. Well, it does go into one of the biblical principles as well about be fruitful and multiply. There is the idea yeah. of sort of everything needs to be multiplying out when it's working in its intended design. And profits, not for greed, but for social good, is an incredibly helpful part of business. It is. Well, greed in any form is sin. Of course, right? Yeah. Right. But profits used for good, either to invest and create more jobs, to excuse me, to um, uh, give away philanthropy, to uh, grow your people professionally. All those things are good things. By the way, on that last comment, we always want our people to leave our business better off than when they came. Mm. Whether they know the Lord or not, that's part of being that social good. You want them to be better off when they leave than when they came. And I can understand on some level the government requiring people to give away, but uh, and, and I think that's helpful for businesses that might be greedy. But I find in business that those owners and the businesses themselves that come together and rally around a cause, around some sort of philanthropy, that they really own themselves and give the profits out of free will in, in those places is way more helpful for bringing an ownership to an outward-looking business as opposed to just all the profits. Yeah, and, and, and nonprofits are going to manage that money infinitely better and more efficiently than the government will. So when the government uh, forces you to give money away, and it's called redistribution of wealth through the tax system, uh, that is a very inefficient way to do that. Uh, to my way of thinking, nonprofits are the better way to go. And you just actually addressed some of this on your site. You wrote an article very recently. It wasn't one of the 69 undeniable no, truths, wasn't. but it was. Uh, you, you labeled it undeniable truths about taxes and subsidies. Can you kind of walk <laughs> us through this this uh, article that you wrote? You know, the the Seattle uh, City Council recently passed unanimously a $275 tax per head. Per, employ- or per employee for large employers who are domiciled in the city of Seattle. Okay, so how much was it again? $275. Got it. It's a, it's, it was an annual tax. In less than four weeks, they repealed it. <laughs> so, so what was the rationale for the tax to begin with, and what did they realize and say four weeks later, oh, hang on a second, we screwed this up? The rationale for the tax was to fund homeless shelters, the building of homeless shelter, because they have declared homelessness a crisis in Seattle. Okay, Uh, but when when they when they passed this tax, Amazon and others balked. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amazon suspended building another building to house another 7000 employees. Okay, now you got 7000 jobs on the line. Is this really worth the 47 to 50 million that, that, that it was going to raise? So as a result, they repeal it. And that is an illustration of one of my core undeniable truths about taxes. And, and that is this. If you want to drive an economic activity away tax it. Hmm. If you want to encourage an economic activity, subsidize it. And uh, this this is something that uh, most politicians don't understand. Your 28-year-old from New York who is a socialist, I promise you she doesn't get this. Mm, great stuff from Bill English this morning. Love having you in studio. It's just about 17 minutes after the hour. In a moment, Bill, we'll talk a bit about family-run businesses and, mm-hmm. and some of the interesting complexities of being in that situation. It's Faith Radio Mornings. We'll be back in a minute.
19 minutes past the hour. This is Faith Radio Mornings. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner, and we're joined this Wednesday, as we almost always are, by Bill English, and BibleandBusiness.com is the website, bringing these two worlds together. I love, Bill, what you do, and, and maybe what our listeners don't know is you're actually leading a tour to Israel here. Uh, I am, soon. yeah. You, you have about 24 people joining you ready, and, and spots are limited at this point, but tell us about the purpose of the trip. Well, the purpose of the trip is to uncork how you read the Bible. So much of the Bible's ter- interpretation rests on the geography. Yep. If you understand the geography, you can begin to really understand the meaning of what the authors are trying to get to. So going over there, being there, walking where Jesus walked, seeing the things that Abraham saw, you know, the the spice routes and Galilee and all that, you know, it's it's just an amazing experience. It really is. And, and Logan, we were talking at the break that uh, you haven't been to Israel, but you have, in, in your words, you took a VR tour of it. I was just so happy with myself that VR stands for virtual reality, right? So how did, did you just put on some goggles and you're suddenly in Israel? Yeah, it was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. They had this big booth set up, and you could put on uh, this this headset that essentially allowed you to walk around and just view all of Israel, and just flashed you from different places and different um, locations, and I thought I was going to get hit by a bus at one point. It was very realistic. That's great. Well, so that's a good starting point, and Bill, <laughs> if people want to join you on the trip, and I don't think you're going to get hit by any kind of moving objects or transportations. No, uh, but we'll, we'll try not Yeah, to. <laughs> exactly. You're a better tour guide than that. Where, where can they find more information about the trip? Uh, actually, they just need to email me. Right. Okay, so, so give us the email it's again. It's bill at bibleandbusiness, A-N-D, bill at bibleandbusiness.com. And your contact information is on the website. That I assume as it well, is. right? <clears throat> yeah, my, right. My, my cell phone number's out there, which is probably dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> It'll blow up this morning, uh, Bill. I love it. But yeah, I'd love to have I'd love to have some more people come. Great. Well, in our remaining time, let's kind of shift the conversation over to family business. And right. uh, you've you've sent me a series of articles. Just family business can be really good. It can be really tricky. Uh, and one of the trickier dimensions is is when it comes to passing on wealth generationally how that happens in my families because kids can really end up fighting over the family wealth, right? Yeah, if yeah, uh, passing on the wealth requires the parents to be very clear about their values and how they're going to pass on this wealth. So you might have, let's say you have four children and two work in the business and two don't. The two that work in the business might feel entitled to the whole business mm, yeah. because I'm the one who's been working here. Johnny and Susie haven't been working here. And so that sense of entitlement may cause a rift between the siblings, probably would actually, especially if the business is highly profitable and pretty large. Uh, and yet I think what the parents need to do is to say, wait a minute, the business is only one part of our overall wealth picture, so to speak. We have a house, maybe we have a cabin, something like that. And uh, we're going to divide this up equally among the four of you. And that's what we always recommend is equality here when you're passing things on. How does the business get passed on in a way that it keeps going? You keep the jobs preserved and yet you're four to all four siblings. That's uh, a major topic of discussion. And what is the role of the existing business owner before passing it on, really educating the children to say, hey, look, this is not a money grab for all of you. This is not wait until I die so that you can be set up for your whole lifetime. How, how would an existing business owner help educate their children to to really use wealth appropriately, and it's not just for them? Yeah, first of all, I think... Uh I think two things among others, but two core things that the first generation must do. And number one is to prepare the second generation for leadership in the business and in a much more complex ownership structure. Usually you have a sole proprietor 
or a, a person who owns 100% of the stock, passing that on to three or four or five siblings and, who now are going to have shared ownership in that thing. That That is, an, that is a complexity that most uh, first-generation people just don't really appreciate. And so you got to prepare the second generation for ownership as well as leadership. The second thing that they have to do is pass on their values. Mm. How do you bake your values into the family and into the business such that um, the the values tend to be cohesive rather than uh, dispersive? Uh, in other words, divisive. Yeah. Right? And, and I find first-generation organizations tend to have this vision for the future to just keep things spreading out towards the future. But by the time, and there's been studies done on this organizationally, that second generation at best maybe maintains it. And by the third generation, it dies out. And so talk about the importance of always focusing towards the future generationally. Yeah, and, and focusing towards the future, the way, the way you avoid that, uh, that scenario, which is so common, is that you get a board of directors with outsiders and that the kids – can never be like their parents in terms of just absolute autonomy and authority. They have to be uh, answering to each other and answering to a board. The reality is the second generation does best when there is mutual accountability between the siblings and there is legal accountability to a board of directors, and the board of directors has at least half outsiders on it. Mm. And you've been in businesses both big and small, yeah, have, though, obviously, yeah. and family businesses tend to be of the smaller kind. Uh, can you speak a bit about how in existing business situations the family can stay focused first on their relationships and second on the business? Because I'm guessing many families get broken up over the business, right? They do. Um, you know, we just had an article yesterday in the, in the Wall Street Journal about Buzz Aldrin, the, yeah. the astronaut, suing his children Ugh. because they, he thinks they're taking his business from him. Right. So, yeah, uh, these, these things can really uh, fly apart. The value that the first generation needs to have in order to keep this thing going into the second and third generations is that they need to understand they are raising a family first and a business second. Are, are you in this family because you're part of the family, or are you in this family because you're part of the business? And so I really highly recommend the first-generation people, as they're raising their kids, they need to understand that they're, first of all, raising a family, and they're not just raising a family or, or, or members who are going to work in a business. It, it's, it's a huge differentiator. Oh, and, and I, I mean, do we have any lessons from the prodigal son on this situation, right, where the, the older brother stays behind kind of running the family farm <laughs> while one of the younger uh, or the younger son t- says, I want the wealth now and I'm going to go squander it on parasailing or whatever he did back then? I mean, do we have any lessons from this? Did they have parasailing in the New well, Testament? Well, I think it's in the Living Bible translation, Bill. I mean, oh. it's, it's one of, I try to read multiple translations on these things to come to an understanding. Okay, I thought that was in the Kastner uh, translation. Well, yeah, it, it might be there, too. <laughs> get confused. I've read that version. It's not good. It's it's not, okay, yeah, we better stick with like the NIV right. at this point. All right, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the, the the prodigal son speaks more to the fact that uh, you you just you just let your kids go if they're really hell bent on going into mm. sin, mm. and you love them along the way. You speak to them. I imagine the dad and the son, you know, spoke to him, said, "Don't do this. Don't do this. Okay, here's your wealth." And uh, hopefully it's it's like the Romans two thing, right? Uh, we let God lets people descend into depravity, mm. hopefully so that the kindness of God leads them back to repentance, right? The kindness of the prodigal or, or, or the kindness of the father brought the prodigal back. It's the brother actually who I have a real problem with. Yeah, say more about that. Well, the brother says, wait, wait, why why are you why are you bringing him back? He, yeah. he should be a servant now. 
And and that's that's the lack of forgiveness for somebody who has wronged us. Mm. The dad could forgive the son, the brother couldn't. I think that's instructive for us. Yeah, it's another great example of how the kingdom of God, Bible and business can all kind of work together in these principles of the family. It does. If you're a Christian business owner, you have a stewardship responsibility before the Lord and a stewardship opportunity to further the kingdom with your business. Uh, I, I have lots of stuff out of Bible and business that will help you with that, or you can just contact me directly and I'll talk. Mm, Bill, the time goes way too fast in these I mornings. Know. I love I having you here. Again, your website is bibleandbusiness.com. It's an excellent resource for people in business, people in all walks of life, to understand how our quote-unquote secular vocations, the way we think of them, actually are not that, that all of life is this beautiful Christian vocation. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I, I love doing the website, and uh, I love serving the Lord. Mm, great. Thanks for uh, being with us, Bill. It's 20 minutes past the hour. We'll take a break here for Breakpoint and uh, get ready for a second half of our hour.